Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have basketball Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star, NBA champ, one of the top 50 players of all time. He played for the Cincinnati Royals, San Francisco Warriors, New York Knicks, the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I remember his name, Jerry Lucas. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm doing well, thank you. So, Jerry, I was reading your bio because I'm 40. I don't remember you playing, but I didn't realize how big of a recruit you were in the Ohio area back in high school. Well, we had a very successful team. Uh, when I played in high school, we won 76 games in a row, won a couple of state championships. We had a, we had a, a lot of really good players, and uh, I, I suppose that a lot of teams wanted me to come. I am old enough to remember you playing. How did you end up at Ohio State and not Cincinnati? Well, I wasn't interested in going to Cincinnati at all. I, didn't, I had no appeal to go there whatsoever. I, I loved Ohio State. I, I, Fred Taylor was uh, very impressive to me. I did not go on an, ac- uh, an athletic scholarship, but an academic scholarship. Uh, uh, academics was very important to me, and I, I just loved the whole atmosphere up there, and I felt it was the right place for me. In high school, you had how many people coming to your games back then? Well, uh, I think we broke the national record. Uh, our rival in high school was Hamilton, Ohio. I played in Middletown, Ohio, in a league then known as the Greater Ohio League. And and the, there was so much importance in our games that I never played in the Hamilton gym, and the Hamilton players never played in the Middletown gym when, when I was in high school because we moved our games to the Cincinnati Garden. We'd have over 15,000 people come to a regular season high school game back in the mid-'50s, so... There was a great deal of interest in, in basketball in our area in those days. So the transition from high school to college was fairly simple for you? It was very easy for me because I started playing against uh, college All-Americans before I ever got to high school. We had an unbelievable summer league in Middletown, Ohio, where I grew up. It was organized by former players who had played ahead of me. Uh, in Middletown High School, as they traveled around playing in college, they would invite college teams to come to Middletown to, to play the Middletown, Middletown team in the summer. And we had a lot of great players that never went on to college in Middletown. They went to work at Armco Steel, which was the major economic base in our area. And we had phenomenal teams, and we regularly beat everybody that came in. And I started playing on those teams from before I even got to high school. Your uh, roommate, your freshman year in college, John Havlicek, said he was worried about you because you weren't studying when you were in college. He was afraid you might pass <laughs> out. Yeah, after we'd been in school about three weeks, John said, Luke, you're in trouble. I said, John, what are you talking about? I haven't done anything. He said, that's why you're in trouble. <laughs> you're not studying. I'd study 15 or 20 minutes a night. He'd study five or six hours. And but I had developed learning systems that make learning very simple and easy for me. And, uh, and I told him about it. He was, you know, he, he couldn't believe the things that I was doing, the word spread around campus. Uh, Woody Hayes called me into his office. And I wondered, what in the world is Woody Hayes along with me? And so we, he talked for a while about military history, which was a great uh, love of his. And then he said, Jerry, I understand you may have some learning systems at work. I said, yes, sir, they work very well. He said, well, I have a bunch of football players that really need some help. You think you could help them? <laughs> I said, sure, Woody, I'd be happy to. And so I started to teach Woody's football players, and that was the first time I taught, and I've been teaching people how to learn and remember ever since. At what point in your life did you realize you had that special skill? I really don't have any more special skill of learning anybody else. I just learned how to use it. Uh, Everything that I do is based on a God-given ability. Every child never has a problem learning prior to going to school because everything they learn has an identity. Her parents say, this is a chair, a cat, a dog, a horse, a cow, et cetera. 
and everything that has an identity that they understand the identity is registered in their mind, never to be forgotten. Because every time you think of a tangible object, it reappears in your mind. If I say, do not see a zebra, whatever you do, do not see a zebra, it's impossible. You have to see a zebra. And it's a proven fact, educators have proved it for decades, that children learn far more the first five years of their lives than they ever do the rest of their lives. And there's a simple reason for that. Uh, when we enter school, nothing has an identity anymore. It's ink on a page. I don't care what the subject is. It's different letters, numbers, words, and symbols, rearranged in different patterns on, you know, in different books. And, Nothing has an identity. If a pronoun walked into the room where you gentlemen are right now, you certainly couldn't point to it and say, well, that's a pronoun. I haven't seen one of those in three or four days. They have no identity. So I got an idea as a young boy in grade school. If I could give an identity, a tangible identity, do everything I was called upon to learn, learning would be simple and fun, and that's what I set out to do. That's what I have done, and that's what the Lucas Learning System is all about. Jerry, I have three daughters, eight, seven, and six, and I was showing my wife your video on YouTube with the Dr. Memory, and she was laughing. She goes, tell Jerry, thanks a lot. Now, every time I think of Little Rock, Little Rock Arkansas, I'm going to see a rock on top of a can with an arc. And every time I think of a pronoun, I'm going to think of a non-golfing. She said, tell him, thanks a lot. Well, I mean, that's, that's, a great thing. that's a great thing about it. You know, picture a pronoun. I picture a nun who was a pro golfer, a pronoun. Of course, on that video you saw, I didn't tell the definition, which is I've done and simple to do. But that, that, that proves the point. Every time... If something has an identity, what you were talking about was Arkansas and Little Rock, where I have a picture of Noah's Ark with a can in front of it holding a saw, and it's using the can as a holding place to saw a little rock in heaven. And, I, and it's impossible. to, to you, you can't forget it because you can't forget a giraffe. When you think of a giraffe, you see a giraffe. And then after you've seen that picture and it's described to you, you, you see. I mean, you think of Arkansas, and it's impossible not to see it in your mind and know the answer. And I've spent almost 40 years of my life giving identities uh, to the information that children need to learn and something remarkable is going to happen in not too distant future that's going to make education a lot of fun and easier than ever. Now, were you able to apply any of these memory systems on court? Oh, yeah, I knew every play of every team in the NBA. Uh, I, I would, they would call out a play, and when I played with the Knicks, we had more plays than anybody in the league by far. We were probably the most intelligent team ever assembled, and I played the center position there for the first time since I'd been a pro, which I loved. It was my natural position. And they, a team would come down and call out a play, and I would call out one of our plays that was exactly like it. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to call out their play. I, you know, I just called out one of ours that our teammates knew, and we knew every play everybody was going to run every time down the floor, which obviously was very helpful. You had some pretty good debates with the Knicks with Bill Bradley on their team and Phil Jackson. Well, I roomed with Phil one year, which was interesting, and Bill and I had a lot of fun. I taught him some of my systems. We would use them on the floor, and yeah, I, even our other teammates didn't know what we were doing, but we, we enjoyed it. So it was a way to use our minds and, and put a little more excitement and fun into the game. Now, would you ever envision Phil Jackson having the success as a coach that he did? Well, I had no idea that Phil was ever interested in coaching. He never He never mentioned that to me, and I don't know, obviously, that when it came time for to retire that obviously became an interest of his and he's turned out to be you know winning his coach and the best coach in, in the history of professional basketball so I, I room with a couple of good good basketball coaches I room with Bobby Knight on the road when we traveled and he, he wasn't a bad coach and then with Phil Jackson as well so two of the greatest coaches who ever lived. What was Bobby Knight like in college? Well Bobby was very competitive he, he was a hard-nosed uh, player and worked hard uh, a decent shooter. He just was a little slow, um, and uh, I, I always kid him telling he played in mud. 
but but Bobby was a great teammate. He he was the kind of teammate you would like to have. He was uplifting. He was encouraging. He, you know, he so he was he was the type of teammate you would enjoy having, and I enjoyed him as a teammate very very much. Now, when you guys were freshmen, was the freshman team at Ohio State better than the varsity? The way at UCLA with Lou Alcindor, the freshman could beat the varsity. Well, without a doubt. I mean, that was a, that was a unique group of people that came into Ohio State and that, at that time, and we beat the varsity every time we played them. Now, we couldn't play then. In those days, no player in any sport could play as a freshman. So all we could do was practice against the varsity at practice and then, and then before home games, we played the Ohio State JV team, and regularly we'd fill up St. John Arena for the, for the freshman JV game, and then when the varsity would come out, unfortunately, people would start leaving, so. There was a lot more interest in our team than there was the varsity at that time. And we talked to uh, Nate Thurman last week, and he said that Ohio State recruited him, but it was just too big a school for him. Did you ever tease Nate and say, you know what, Nate, you could have went undefeated with us in college? Well, no, I never did. I, you know, I, I was Nate's teammate at, at, on the San Francisco Warriors for a couple of years, enjoyed him as a teammate, but we never really discussed that. I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know that Ohio State, I didn't, I never heard of Nate, you know, and uh, at that time, and sometimes in high school, you don't hear of other players in other parts of the state. I'd never heard of John Havlicek until we began to play some all-star games, you know, in the summer after our senior year, but he was in a totally different part of the state. His team never got to the state finals, so as our team did, so I, I, I had never even heard of him. What was your Olympic experience like in 1960? Well, it was a, you know just one of the highlights of my life. Um, you know, you had to be an amateur to play then. I was only 19 years old. I was probably the youngest player to ever play on the United States uh, Olympic team, and just a tremendous thrill. I uh, played with some great players. That was a great team. I think our closest game was 37 points. Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and mentioned a couple were on that team. So a ph- phenomenal experience, uh, something obviously that I will never forget. What was it like playing with Oscar Robertson with the Cincinnati Royals? Well, Oscar, you never, you know, I mean, we were probably as his teammates appreciated him more than anybody else because we got to see him every game and see him do things that nobody else could do on a very regular basis. So it's been proven that Oscar, you know, is one of the very, very top players who ever played basketball, you know, the only player to ever average a triple-double. And he probably would have averaged a triple-double Another year, if I had to come along, but when I came along, I got every rebound. I didn't have a chance to average a double, double and rebound. Now, before you joined the Royals, uh, you were with the Cleveland Pipers, owned by uh, a man named George Steinbrenner. What was he like early on? Well, I really, I really didn't get to know George very much. Um, I signed with his team, the Cleveland Pipers, in the old ABL, American Basketball League, which was founded by Abe Saperstein the founder of the Harlem Globetrotters, but the league folded before I got to play. uh, George signed me for the unheard of sum of $40,000 a year. The Cincinnati Royals were offering me $30,000 a year. So, But George never paid me a nickel because the team folded and there were no bonuses in those days, so I never got a nickel out of George. I'm surprised he didn't make you work for a shipping company. He was probably afraid you'd take it over. (laughs) Well, I wasn't interested in that. What was it like being on The Tonight Show? Well, I enjoyed it. I, I, I love the opportunity to let people know what my systems could do and how effective they were. And, you know, Johnny was great. He, he was just, you know, one of the all-time greats of ever. And he loved the kind of things that I would do. You know, I'd, I'd 
memorize a magazine or memorize parts of a phone book, name four or five hundred people in studio audience. We had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, and uh, and I did that on many, many, many shows. I traveled a lot for a period of a number of years, uh, letting people know about my systems, the books that I had written, and how they could help them. How did you memorize 400 people in a studio audience's names? Well, you just have to know how. That's what my systems are all about. I teach people how to remember names and faces almost weekly, and people just don't know. I mean, repetition doesn't work. Uh, Learning by repetition is no fun. It's boring. It's tiring. It's self-defeating. You know, and then when people get out of school, man, I'm glad that's over because it wasn't an enjoyable experience. But it was always an enjoyable experience to me. And most people I've ever met and remembered at one time is 800. Now, I say that, and people say that's impossible. Well, it's not impossible because I've done it. And people don't have to remember four or 500 people, but it'd be nice to remember six or eight or 10 or 12. And, of course, I teach people to do that on a regular basis. But the love of my life and my heartbeat is education and what I'm doing to make an incredible uh, contribution to education in the near future. Do you ever look back and wonder how the Cincinnati Royals didn't win an NBA championship? I know there was a speeding yeah, boss. Yeah, it's quite simple. It was pretty it's quite good. Simple. It's, quite, it's two, quite simple. It's only two words, Bill Russell. Okay. Um, you know, we could, we could never get over the hump of the uh, Boston Celtics. We take them to seven games, lose near the end, but Bill was always there kind of swatting something away and doing the right things. And, of course, the Celtics had a great team and, we were always the second-best team in the NBA, and we never even got to play for the championship because Boston and the Royals were in the Eastern Conference, and they always beat us and went on to the finals to play the Western representative. A lot of former players we've interviewed have said that Bill Russell was the greatest player in NBA history. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, Bill was the greatest defensive player who ever lived. I, obviously, I think. Probably Michael Jordan is the best all-around player and the greatest player who ever lived. There have been so many of them. You, know, you talk to 10 different people, they might have 10 different choices. I mean, there have been some really great basketball players, obviously, who have played in the NBA. And it, 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 I mean, they're all so good that uh, you'd like to have any of them on your team. Now, when you went to New York, you had to make something of a transition from being sort of one of the, the main cogs in the machine to more of a complementary role. How, how was that for you? I enjoyed it very much. I was very happy to be traded with the Knicks. To the Knicks. Uh, it was the kind of team that I loved uh, because it was a team. I mean, it was a real team. Uh, there was no selfishness there. There was no ego there. Everybody worked towards towards a common goal to win as a group, and that's the way the game should be played. I loved it. I enjoyed my time with the Knicks more than any time that I played as a pro. When you were in Ohio, I mean, you were it when you were in high school. You were the best basketball player in the country. Everybody wanted you similar to what LeBron James went through when he was in high school. Do you ever feel that LeBron kind of sold out the state and the Cleveland Cavaliers by not staying there? I think I, I think that LeBron should have stayed. I really do. I think it was a mistake to live, to leave. I mean, I mean, he was king of everything there. And uh, um, I, 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 his, his choice was not mine, so my, my, my opinion doesn't mean anything to him. But, but uh, you know, I mean, he would have continued to be – and the king and his popularity would have been soaring, whereas after he left, his popularity took, a, took an incredible dip because of what happened and how it happened. So I just think he made an initial mistake of leaving Cleveland, and, of course, the way he did it, it irritated a lot of people. To set up everybody in uh, Cleveland, Akron, Ohio like that, and the announcement, the way it, it transpired, 
you would have thought somebody along the way would have advised him otherwise. Well, I mean, it's his life. You know, we, we make decisions and, and we live with those decisions. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he's enjoy he, he loves the game. He's enjoying playing with Dwayne Wade and Bosch and all the other players in Miami. They have a great team. And, you know, hopefully, from his standpoint, he's going to win a world championship, which is what, you know, every professional basketball player would love to do. You talk about your learning system, and when I think about it, I think to myself, this guy must have an IQ off the charts. What is your IQ, if you know? I don't know. I have no idea. But I'm a doer. The thing that separates me from other people, I'm a doer. I still work 12 to 15 hours every day. I'm creating a website, which will be known as Dr. M's Universe. I'm doing this Dr. Memory. And it'll be known as Dr. M's Universe. It's going to be Disney, Pixar-type quality, 3D throughout. Uh, there'll be many, many, many planets in the universe, an alphabet planet, a reading planet, a writing planet, a spelling planet, a music planet, a Spanish planet, many, many, many learning planets. And all of my techniques are used on every one of them to make learning fun, simple, and easy. There'll be about 125 video games that are going to be the highest quality there is in the world that they, that they will play, and it's impossible not to learn as they play them. There will be literally tens of thousands of venues to go to to learn whatever you want to learn and, and do it in a, in a fun, enjoyable way. I've written about 300 songs and uh, developed all kinds of characters. When I teach uh, children uh, about a vowel, an owl that wears a V-neck sweater, a vowel does the teaching. When they learn about a syllable, a syllable does the teaching. So I have hundreds and hundreds of characters and vehicles and tools and places to go and activities to participate in. It's just going to be a remarkable, remarkable place. And it'll be a while before it's available. I have to raise some money. I hope to. It looks like I'm going to have an IPO probably sometime in, in I don't know, maybe June or July. If it, you know, so that's that's in the works. It's not finalized yet, but I need to raise the money to get it done. And all the production companies in place, the music people are in place, writers are going to help me in place, and so everything is ready. And it's just a matter of getting the money and making it a reality. It will it will change the way people learn and teach, and it's going to be very very exciting. Who designed your character for the cartoon with the muscles and the young man? Was it your idea or did someone else design it? No, I, I create everything. Uh, I create everything. I tell artists what to draw uh, and, and what should be done. I, 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 wrote, I write all the lyrics to the songs. I, I've created everything. But, of course, I've worked on it for my whole lifetime. Uh, what, what, what I've done with reading is, is just remarkable. I mean, I've pictured every sound in the English language. Nobody's ever seen a sound. and. In the future, children will have no problem. They'll they'll know a letter is silent because they'll tangibly see it silent. They will know a letter changes its sound to a different sound because something visual will tell them that, and then they will see the actual sound it makes in a tangible picture. So it, it's going to be remarkable. It's going to be exciting and fun, and, and people are going to be very thrilled and, and, and thankful <laughs> that they're going to have the opportunity to use it when it's available. Well, it's be able to help people like me and David who were well beyond the school years? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. It's really it's aimed at uh, uh, children. Basically, the primary aim, aiming point is uh, preschool through the sixth grade, but I have an advanced planet, and I have a have another planet for, for adults. Uh, in the advanced planet, students can, learn, students can learn SAT words. I've done uh, 1,500 SAT words, all visual, all animated, simple and easy to learn. Uh, periodic table and chemistry and many other things. And then for, for adults, you'll be able to learn names and faces, career, absent-mindedness, dates and appointments, and a lot of things like that. So this is going to be a site for the entire family. It's aimed at the American family and families around the world, and it will be a, an Internet a subscription site, very reasonably priced. It will be less than $15 a month.
which is incredible in today's world. And I want to I want to have the opportunity to help as many people as possible. So, as I said, it's a ways off. Once the funding is attained, it'll be one year in production because there's so much to do, uh, and then it'll be a reality. I could have used you in my freshman high school. When I had a .6 grade point average, and my parents said, "What are you doing, sleeping through class?" They go, and the teacher said the same thing. I said, "I'm not interested. This is boring." I'm at a Catholic high school, all boys, and I just got to keep reading and hearing lectures, and it's putting me to sleep. Somehow I became an well, that's, that's what that's what a lot of students think, and that's why we lose yeah. a lot of students. We, millions of young students, unfortunately, drop out of school, and they're all gifted. They're all gifted young people. They know how to cat and a dog and a horse and a cow and a tree and a monkey and whatever. Every tangible object they can't forget, but they can't learn ink on a page. So once that ink on a page is made tangible and has an identity like a cat or a dog or a horse, it's impossible to not to learn and impossible to forget. So that's the exciting thing about what I've done. And it's been a long time. I've dedicated myself to it, never varied or wavered from my goal. And I'm grateful and thankful that it's not too far in the future to become a reality. Well, you sound like you're still gripping. How did you know when it was time to retire? I retired early to devote my life to education. It was very simple. Uh, I knew it's what I wanted to do and needed to do. I became a Christian. I memorized the entire New Testament and realized there were there were sort of things in life more important than uh, playing basketball. So I retired, left three years uh, with uh, uh, I left a three year contract with the New York Knicks and moved on to what I knew my life was all about. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Lucas. It was a pleasure talking. My to pleasure. You. Elliot, now I know what the capital of Little Rock, Arkansas is. Car- you know what the capital, capital of Little. You know I what know. the capital of Arkansas is. I know what the capital of Arkansas is because I always think of a can of soup with a rock on top with uh, Noah's Ark, and then I also know with pronoun what that is a nun playing golf. You know, if this system had been in place, I might end up being a lawyer or something successful in life. I might have won Ivy League instead of going to Loyola. Whoa. <laughs> But thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week for another great show. A bunch of lovely women in studio and maybe a famous comedian. We'll see. Thanks for listening.